Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man who looks very dashing in traditional Muslim dress, it's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> Thank you, Wendy. Hi, Wendy. How you doing? You haven't converted, Nate. You got a lot of questions saying, have you converted? Yeah. Uh, you, you were just showing solidarity. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a strong tendency to leave things vague and questionable, to provoke questions that I don't get annoyed <laughs> on being asked so much, which is my own fault. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of uh, lot of positive and excitement from, from Muslim followers, which is really sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Had a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Eid Mubarak to, to anyone who's celebrating. Hope you had a lovely, lovely time with your friends and family. Uh We've been absolutely thrilled over this past four or five weeks to have been partnered with Humans of Purpose, a weekly podcast featuring interviews with purpose-driven leaders whose work is having a positive social impact and making the world a better place. Mike Davis has fascinating conversations with interesting people from leading charities, social enterprises, and purpose-driven businesses. In episode 237, I actually can't believe that he's recorded 237 episodes. He's prolific. He speaks to Joe Dreyfus, who is the social impact controller at HireUp, which is Australia's largest NDIS-registered online platform, enabling people with a disability to find, hire, and manage their team of disability support workers. They've employed, trained, and verified over 20,000 support workers to ensure their users receive the best support possible. Have a listen. It's really, really fascinating. And I think you'll feel a little bit better about the world after listening to that episode. And support Mike by searching for Humans of Purpose in your preferred podcast player. Subscribe and leave a review. And you can learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Let's talk about the Leicester game, boys. And uh, we, we always start with the lineups. There was a, a slightly controversial team selection. Bardi, Lucas came back in from um, from the cold. I was all right with it, surprisingly. I missed the team news because I was on the train. But when I got out from the underground, there was the usual kind of meltdown across um, <laughs> across communication platforms, from personal ones to uh, more mass like Twitter and everything else. But I was okay. I thought Kulisowski had been pretty bad for a couple of games. And I could see the, the idea of, of swapping it out, kind of showing that not everybody's place is secure, that there is a, you can be dropped because we'd got to the point where it was the first 11 was the undroppables unless someone was injured. So from that perspective, I didn't mind it. And then the fact that we ended up winning the game and Kulusevski came on and had a positive impact, I think this worked out pretty well for Conte. And I, I'm on board with him making these decisions to put pressure on individuals to perform because Kulusevski hadn't been performing. So I was, I was all right with it. Obviously, it's foresight. We won the game. But I was okay with it. I could see it. Nathan, we spoke about the potential of Kulusevski to play wing-back in this one with the sort of previous poor performances from our wing-backs mm. and... And then Regulon, you know, presumably out for a little while. He's, he's picked up another injury. Uh, were you a bit surprised when it was 
um, Kudasevsky, who was left out for Lucas. Yes, yes. Surprised and disappointed, to be honest. I was, I was pretty unhappy with the team, I'm not going to lie. Because I, I spoke about, like, um, not necessarily to start the game, but in some way we have to be prepared to take um, a, a bold move at, at wing-back if uh, if the game isn't going the way we want it to go. Um, Conte spoke exactly in contrast with that, I think, um, in the pre-match conference and said, look, I'm not going to change what we've been doing for months now. Uh, we're just going to stick with it and try to improve that way. Um, yeah, and then obviously I have spoken about my issues with Lucas at length before. There's no need to, to trade that. And, and, and my praise for Kulisewski and how much an improvement there's been in that position. Um, I guess it's worth talking about Bergvine here. It's, it's, it's very clear now that um, Conte sees Bergvine um, as a good player. He, he spoke to this as well after the match. Um, someone who's deserving of more minutes that he's getting, but he sees him exclusively as someone who is a backup to Kane and or Son. And because no one really wants to take Kane or Son off the pitch, especially when you're playing once a week, um, Bergvine's hardly seen the pitch despite his qualities. He doesn't see him as someone who can play the Lucas slash Kulisewski role. And I don't think that that is about footedness or side ability i think that that is that the the um the right inside forward role is sort of closer to a midfielder is a creator is someone who 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 develops more in build-up play um which kulisovsky and lucas do in very different ways uh kulisovsky more of you know a, a rounded passing game and interlinking lucas is going to have deeper to receive the ball and carry it um I don't agree that Bergvine can't do those things, um, but I can understand the reasoning. I can understand the the Conte's thinking there. I also don't agree, and I think it's too late now for for Bergvine to sure. um, to to prove otherwise. I think it, it seems pretty conclusive from his post match comments that he no longer sees his own future at Spurs. That he feels he has to move away to get some minutes. I feel really bad for him that having come on and scored a couple of goals against Leicester, in many ways it 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 changed his future because he would he would have left in the January transfer window and he'd probably be playing and presumably playing well for another club right now and uh, he has to think of his World Cup hopes. He, he seems fairly integral to the Netherlands' plans, but but only if he's playing. Uh, so so he has to look elsewhere. I think it's a real pity. I, I much prefer Bergvine to to Lucas. Um, obviously, uh, and and I do think it's a pity he'll be leaving, but it does seem that way. And I mean, you know, the one good thing is we should get a good fee for Bergvine. Everyone knows he's a good player. He has, certainly hasn't disgraced himself at Spurs. He's just really been starved of opportunities. Um, in this match, I I think uh, Lucas uh, was was absolute dog shit. He was really really shockingly bad, and the introduction of Kulusevski. Um, was a breath of fresh air. You know, the the upgrade, the immediate upgrade that bringing Kulusevski off the bench for Lucas gives you is significant. Not just in the, in the output. The output was there. It was incredible. But it's the way he carries himself. It's the way he, re- he positions himself to receive the ball. It's the positions he takes up before he's even got the ball that I think give you the, the upgrade as well. He's such an intelligent player. Um, and I, and I kind of want to protect him a little bit. I, I, Bardi's uh, been a bit critical there of his, his previous couple of performances and a lot of people were on Twitter as well. And I had a couple of um, conversations about it on Twitter. I felt like um, he just didn't really get the ball much in the last couple of games. We really struggled to progress the ball. And I, I, would, I would say that was more to do with the team not functioning than Kulusevski not functioning. But, you know, either way, 
that the quality he had in this game was was something to behold. He's a really special player, and uh, I'm very I, glad we I, got I, him. I agree. I agree with this. Obviously, I'm Kuliseski over Lucas all the time, but there was there was something in the way that the teams lay uh, just before kickoff before the start of the game. Lucas and Emerson were having a real chat and a real moment mm. before the game started. And I tweeted, I think Lucas is pretty much just there to babysit Emerson, mm. and there was some form of connection between the two of them so maybe maybe that was the the reasoning behind it obviously as i said kulisewski is better than lucas but what it does what it did give us is it seems that every time we turn to our bench we're always downgrading for the first time in a while we were able to upgrade our up upgrade our team and bring on someone better than we already had on and we we, we talked about plan b last week and could bringing kulisewski on change the game and that's what having quality players allows us to do and it's just always the thing when it's not when Kulis- when plan a doesn't work you bring on lucas and it's just it doesn't work like it's it's a mess so it was nice to have the game one nil up and then bring on Kuliseski and change the game in our in a positive manner mm. i do think emerson had a positive positive reaction with lucas i think there was a little bit of better performance from emerson and from sessignon as well so maybe there's that but of course I, i'll be i'd start Kuliseski over lucas all the time so yeah i was really <laughs> really not feeling great about the decision for Lucas to start over Kulisevsky. Um But in hindsight, if the whole point was to have a really good substitution to bring on late in the game, I uh, kind of vibe with it. <laughs> to be honest, I think it really, I think it really works for us. Like we really picked up when Kulisevsky came on the pinch, and I don't think that you can just say, "Well, if he'd simply been on the pitch for ninety minutes, we'd have been much better for the whole game." I think that him coming on late, him coming on fresh-legged and all of that kind of thing uh, really matters. And I remember, I, I tweet this as well, I remember him, Conte, doing that to us when he was at Chelsea in the in the FA Cup, bringing on Hazard and Costa late in the game. Um, I kind of don't, I mean, obviously, like, I would prefer if it was Bergwijn starting and it was Lucas remaining out of the team entirely and then Kulisiski came on or whatever. Um, but the general idea of saving a good player till late on the game, don't hate it. Yeah, it's not it's not a bad thing to do. It's not a bad option to to turn to. And you're right, that Chelsea game does stick in my mind as well. And the thing about manager, if you win, then he... Then <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Had we lost the game, then we could go after him. But we can't go after him now. So, Windy, get sit down. You can't go after Conte. We won the game at a canter. Yeah. Um, it felt easy in the end. Uh... It was so easy. I mean, Leicester had one or two tricks and we just got wise to it. There was uh, Dakar and Iñacho. They, they move quite well. They're very smart forwards. But as soon as, as, soon as Romero read one page of their book it was over it was all finished they had they they did him once and they never did him again and it, it was it was brilliant it was brilliant to see and i always speak about the privilege of having seen good tottenham players in my lifetime and i i honestly we've spoken about this as a group i don't think i've never seen a defender like this guy i've never seen it before live I've never seen him at tottenham he's he's on a trajectory to be our greatest ever defender the guy is he's sensational and i highly recommend if you get the opportunity to go watch him play you need to go see mm. him play because he he is a unique and once in a lifetime kind of guy he was uh he was really quite something else against leicester wasn't he he was probably man of the match right he was yeah yeah i mean no, no argument sensation. you can't really you can't really imagine a better performance you can't like like you can't conceptualize more from a defender over the course of 90 minutes in what is otherwise like a fairly quiet game he mm. still manages to be this like 
this sort of action hero type figure. Yeah, he's an instigator. Like he's so far away from like the the action and the attacking moments, but somehow he's still he makes himself so the crucially. Star. Yeah, yeah, he's crucially involved. And whether it's just him like roaming up the field and and creating a passing option, or just breaking up play and starting it, he's is and. I have it. I'm. I'm not one of these passion merchants like like Alex from Bristol. But when he went through that first player, the first Leicester player, and then the ball bounced loose. And normally, when you see a player line up for that kind of tackle, you think it don't do it. It's a red card. It's a red card. But he just went in and he won that. And the the emotion in the crowd, it was just like whoosh. And then the fact that we scored a goal from it, it was it was nearly as good as like a Kane 35 yard screamer, just because of the the momentum behind it. Yeah, it's often said about good defenders that um, you know they're having a good game where you don't see much of them. Uh, yeah. That that couldn't be further from the truth with Romero. I mean, he's not just a flawless defender, although he is a flawless defender. Uh, you know, he made in this game a couple of goal-saving challenges. He bailed out a couple of his teammates. He was brilliant, brilliant in his own box. But it's the fact that he is... He's so deeply involved all over the pitch as well. I mean, that that double challenge that led to the goal, hmm. it's it's not just the fact that he committed those tackles. It's the fact that he read the situation and had the athleticism to make it to that second challenge. I don't think there are many centre-backs in world football that could have done that. I mean, he just eats up grass. He's uh, so purposeful with his movements. Um, I think he's a really, really special player. Uh I hope he stays at Spurs for a long time. Mm. My fear is that he's 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 almost too good for you know he could play for any team in the world. He's unbelievable. Uh, I agree with Bardi. I think he's I think he's the best. I think he's the best defender I've seen at Spurs on the on this form. Um, mm. I I don't see how someone can be better. You know, it's it's that level. It's that level of brilliance. He he he. As I say, he's not just flawless at the back. He is incredible all over the pitch. If you can just add a little bit more composure in the final third, then that's just the cherry on top of the cake. But you're you're saying for him to become better, he needs to become a better forward. That's, yeah, that's, I know, that's right? how good he is. If, if you could also the, be Harry Kane as well, Christian, yeah. that would be that would be just great. Because the thing is, everybody gets they get so upset when you when you say that they're like, "What about Ridley King? What about this? What about?" But it's just like, yes, he hasn't been here that long. You know, he hasn't been here for years and years. But then there is a thing that people forget: all the mistakes that Ledley King did, and Bertongan done, and Alderweireld. They all make mistakes. That's the unfortunately that's the role of a defender. It's like it's like being a, a first class cricketer and everyone getting upset because you got bowled out. You're going to you're going to get done, and teams are going to score against you. And to beat him with that stick is just ridiculous. He is the best tackler, the best on the ball, the best at moving that I've seen. And I, you're right. I, I, unfortunately, I don't think we keep him more than two, three years because you could see him. He, he would fit in perfectly Real Madrid. He would be spot on at Manchester City because he's that good. He's that elite level. Yeah, and and we'll get a lot of money when he when he does go. But um, yeah. let's just enjoy him while we can because he is remarkable. Yeah. I mean, I, I I do love to fantasize in my quiet moments about what it would be like to have a, a sort of similar level player on the other side of our defence. Uh, and as much as I really appreciated Ben Davis's performance this year under Conte, you know, if you have a a left sided Romero, 
Imagine Don't how much up, that would elevate, elevate our team. It would just be really exciting. Ben Davies got booked early and they were targeting him and he put in a mature performance. I thought he was really good once again. That back, pa- that, that back pass nearly gave me a heart attack. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he is what he is. Ben Davies is a, is a solid player and a, a really, really great character to uh, to have about the place, as they say. Uh, but I, I would like him to be, um, I'd like him to be the kind of the European backup next year, if possible. So that would be my preference. We've been linked with Gleason Bremer, who <sighs> is um, a hell of a lot like Romero in in several different ways. Um, so I need to go make sure I get this the right way around. Um, this season, Bremer is doing the Romero thing of being the super aggressive player from the middle of a, of a back three. Having with me previously having said that's not a thing that ever happens anywhere else, right? <laughs> um, and last season he played on the left of a three. Um, so I'm wondering if the thinking is let's get a left-sided Romero, right? And here's here's Bremer, here's someone who profiles just like him. The problem with that is that. Um, He's right-footed and he's not anywhere near as good on the ball as Romero. So I think if the idea was for him to play on the left, he'd be quite limited in possession. He'd be perfect defensively because he'd be, you know, just like Romero um, on the left side. But I think that if the thinking is for him to to be um, left side of Romero, that there's there, he's going to um, be a bit sort of uh, Davinton-esque on the left side. I mean, he's, his, his sort of ball carrying is, is decent, but his passing is really quite limited. Um, his decision-making and his technical ability in his passing, I think. So um, there aren't really many other extremely aggressive centre-backs on the market, you know. Our friend Nima absolutely loves Bremer mm. and is desperate for, for Inter to sign him. He reckons uh, Bremer can work in the middle with Romero to the right. That would be that would be an option. He also describes Bremer as a, like a, a solid oak door that when he closes, that's it. You, you're not getting in. I would like to see this happen. I, mm. I have I have concerns. But then, hey, I had concerns about Romero, you know, and uh, they were probably put to bed. So let's talk wingbacks. We were very down on them for the last couple of performances. And and to be honest, I don't think Sessegnon shone in this game. Uh, in fact, in the, I think it was the last episode, I kind of said that Sessegnon kind of takes a game to come back in. He looks really short of confidence that he has a slightly better performance next. And then it grows from there. I'm hoping this is the one where he was slightly better, but still not great. Uh, just he's sort of building his confidence back up again in, in the next game against Liverpool. Hopefully he'll be exceptional touch wood uh emerson was really steady i thought in this game had a, a really kind of composed match really sensible defending really good use of the ball even had a couple of forward carries which i didn't expect um was involved in in the goal um just a, an all-round much more complete performance from emerson i think I I thought he was okay. I thought he struggled a little in the first half, was better in the second half. Um, I also think, and this is what we haven't said so far, I also think we were playing a pretty bad Leicester B team. Um, Heavily rotated, yeah, weren't they? Yeah, because they've got they've got European competition. Um, I don't know. I certainly like. I I don't I haven't had a big change of mind about Emerson Royale. Um, yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, you know, but fe- but 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 it's pleasing to see him not put in another utterly calamitous sure. performance. Is, is the point I'm trying to make? I, I, I mean, he was so him. bad in the previous. I game. feel for I feel for him and, and the and the crap that he's getting on social media and all that kind of stuff. I I I have some like some fondness to him. Same. Um, so yes, in that in that 
um, sense. I appreciate the performance, but um, like I said, it doesn't really change anything. And also, Leicester were very bad. Yeah. There is um, there's definitely a nervousness around the the stadium when the ball comes to him in deep positions, and we try and play out the back. There's also a a kind of when he when he moves forward and the ball gets switched to him and and it arrives at his feet in an attacking sense. There isn't the kind of expectation that he's going to do anything, which is also quite damning. But I thought he did okay, and I thought he did okay, and he got better. And like like you said, he wasn't a disaster, and hopefully he can build some kind of confidence and move forward because we don't have any other option at the moment. Mm-hmm. I thought Sessignon grew into the game and got better as as it went on. And like you said, hopefully this is his kind of middle game before he steps back up. Mm. Yeah, I mean, overall, I thought this was a very clunky first half performance from Spurs, but we scored a simple, straightforward goal from a set piece, which was which was nice to see. We don't often score a headed goal from a corner, uh, so that was uh, that was that was good. Uh, and then in the second half, Son was just majestic, uh, inspired by Kulusevski. Um, I, I want to talk a bit about Son. And a question that we had a while ago has become relevant again. So this is from Charlie Graham. Charlie says, hey, guys, loving your work, but I need your help. My father and sister are both gooners. I know it's a real shame. My sister is a footballer herself and normally has good judgment apart from her allegiances. Recently, she said to me that Son would be nothing without Kane and is overrated. So seeing as Son registered an amazing hat trick, bear in mind this was some time ago, would the panel be able to rebuke this notion? How do we ju- judge Son's brilliance if we are discussing the player rather than his place in the team? Son, talk to me. Yeah, I think um, I think if you uh, imagine, you close your eyes and you picture like Kane, he's occupying the centre-backs and then he recognises the turnover and he quickly drifts away from his man into a pocket space and he receives the ball on the turn and then he hits a, a marvellous dipping, curving uh, ball over the top that lands perfectly at Sun's feet in his stride and then Sun just does the finishing, you might be inclined to feel that way. But that's really only uh, been the case the last sort of uh, 18 months or, or, or two seasons, really. Um, we talked before about like um, Sun is a forward now, uh, almost exclusively. Uh, despite playing in a front three where he's sometimes expected to receive back to goal in deeper areas. Um, and so because of that, he lives and dies on his goals, right? He scores and he's incredible or he doesn't score and he looks clumsy and awkward, right? Um, whereas before, um, and this is before Kane was dropping deep so often, although still occasionally, uh, before he's playing out wide and he's beating his man, he's putting in crosses, he's contributing to build up play more, he's stretching defenders wider, um, he's then making more diagonal runs for balls back across from opposite fullbacks and, and Ericsson rather than just being reliant on Kane. Um, and you saw a much more rounded game. So I feel like he's very much evolved around Kane, right? He's gone from being a very, very good uh, sort of winger forward who can do a lot of different things to a guy who gets a lot of goals running on from in front of Kane because that is what is is optimal uh for for him and for the team so maybe the player son is right now you could say is very reliant on Kane um but what you've seen prior to the way that we play now and um in games when Kane isn't around is there's a lot more to son's game um than than the the goal focused role that he plays now i think 
I mean, the, the top goal to, what do you call it? It's the best assist to goal scorer combination in the Premier League is Kane, son, which is five goals, but also Kulusevsky's son is five goals. So he's, he's not heavily reliant on Kane. And I think it's, I think it's such an Arsenal thing to say that, <laughs> oh, son would be nothing without Kane. It's, it's like comparing, saying Iniesta would be nothing without Xavi or Busquets. But it, that's just the situation. We have Kane, we have son. And of course, two amazing players are going to be reliant on each other to do great things. I think Son is a brilliant player and he will go down probably as a Spurs legend because the goals he's done. But he's done it by himself many times. Kane gets injured quite mm. a bit and Son has led the line perfectly and there hasn't been a drop-off in his performance. In fact, if anything, I think this version of Son has grown and matured due to those times where he stepped in for Kane and become so, the main striker. You look at, um, look at Benzema. Um, he's having the mm. season of his life uh, a ripe old age and on the back of a couple of really good seasons since Cristiano Ronaldo left the team right and he's become the star and he's become the forward he's moved away from this sort of um, this secondary role to being the star and I, and I, I think there's something similar there um, with with the relationship between Kane and Son right uh, Son has the ability to absolutely thrive but the best thing that he can do now is to just play off Kane yep 100% I think I think Benzema is, is a really Good, and Higuain too. A really good comparison. Yeah, until he started eating too much steak. <laughs> but I think um, watching Benzema now does give me hope that perhaps Kane can go into his late thirties if, if, as long as he doesn't get any more ankle injuries. But is it is it me or our teams really kind of focusing on whacking Kane at the moment? There was a couple of tackles on him this weekend, which just reminded me of the the Ashley Young tackle. Just leave Kane alone for fuck's sake. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, so on Son, I, th- I think um, I think he's been our Player of the Year. Now, if you if you you know we've we've only got four games to go, I think you look back over the season and the number of goals he scored that, that put him as the top non penalty goal scorer in the league. Uh, he he's been quite remarkable, um, and I I sort of think. It's kind of like what Nathan was saying. If if you focus on that automation, that Kane dropping deep, receiving the ball, Son spinning in behind, getting on the end of a pass and finishing it, I think it sort of seems on the surface like Kane's done all the hard work. He's done all the the technical brilliance. He's kind of picked up the ball, controlled it, turned and played a, an immaculate pass, which Kate, which Son just has a run onto and finish. And I don't think that's that's an accurate reflection. I think you have to watch Son in that situation as well and notice the timing of the run, the timing of the movement before the run even starts, the receiving the ball, the finishing off both feet, always perfect off both feet. The technical brilliance of Son is really underappreciated amongst the wider football community. He's seen as just a sort of a fast guy that can hit the ball mm. hard, and that's really not the case. He's he's like so a, much more like a, almost like a Theo Walcott type player, but he's much more than that. Yeah, or even in the Spurs sense, Jermaine Defoe. And I remember Jermaine Defoe. Um, the amount of offsides that will be called against Jermaine mm-hmm. Defoe, and you just don't get that with Son. He he, as, for someone who makes so many sort of line breaking runs, the last man on the shoulder of defenders, there really aren't many offsides called against him compared to other similar players. And I think that is a sign of his his timing and his brilliance, his intelligence. I find filtering by offsides per ninety a useful way to find forwards who are good at running in behind. But I would probably yeah miss Son off that off that searching mm. method. Mm, 
Yeah, yeah. Because he, he's so good. I do good. think VAR, VAR has made forwards be a lot smarter. I think in Jermaine Defoe's era, in Filippo Inzaghi's era, you could you could kind of rely on human error, but now you have to be so smart to be that kind of player. And a son is, is brilliant at holding his line. When he does get caught offside for a goal, it's always like a toe or an elbow that catches him out. And I also think that like... Yes, you have to be maybe smarter and better, but that that greater smartness is is rewarded more accurately with 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 VAR. Mm. I think um, the what gives me hope going into the weekend is Son's ability to to beat the offside trap because Liverpool love it, and I think Son that's that's where kind of the hope for me comes from being able to Son being able to expose them. Nice pivot, Bardi. I, I think mm. um, let, okay. let's let's delve into that now. I I do think this Son against Trent Alexander-Arnold matchup is a favourable one for Son. I think Alexander-Arnold is, in my view, um, the best right-back in the world. I think he's, because of what he offers the team going forward, he's, he's so consistently brilliant with his output. But he does leave a huge amount of space in behind, and we've seen him be exploited many times. Uh, and you know Liverpool have good covering defenders as well, so it doesn't mean that if you get in behind Alexander Arnold, you've got a free run at goal. That's that's clearly not the case. They've also got a fantastic goalkeeper at one on ones, the best in the world probably. So uh, let's let's not go overexcited, but there's definitely an opportunity there if we if we time things right and we get a bit of bit of luck with our finishing. Um, how are you feeling about that game? Nervous. <laughs> No. So I want to do a tiny bit of contextualization first, which is I think it's still possible, possible for us to lose against Liverpool and still get fourth. Just mm-hmm. I just want to point out, just want to throw that out there that the 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 Champions League next season isn't completely relying on this game. Obviously, if we were to win, that would be really useful. Um, but uh, I just want to say that the season doesn't live and die on a game against what might be the best team in the world. Uh, with that said, yeah, I'm definitely definitely I'm so. Um, I think that we have a stylistic advantage against Liverpool, which is kind of weird to say. It's definitely not been that way for a long time. I think that our ability to soak up pressure and hit teams on the mm-hmm. counter um, is useful for the team that Liverpool have become now. Having said that, they're really, really good. <laughs> they're they're really good, man. They're, yeah. So, I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked to see us like smash and grab um, but I'm also not optimistic going into it, you know. I, I wouldn't be shocked for a referee to do something to help Liverpool out. I just have that feeling that they everyone's desperate for it to go on and on and on, to go down to a final day shootout. And I honestly have a feeling the referee is going to, to, to do something to hurt us in this game. I'm also kind of hoping Leeds turn up and decide that they're a football club once again. I think, but I am concerned we'll go into the North London derby five points behind and all of a sudden the pressure is right on us. Yeah, I mean, I do uh, I do agree with Nathan's point that this game isn't necessarily the decider, um, but we are reliant on teams that are quite difficult to predict right now. So Leeds obviously really improved, really, really improved on Jesse March. I think he's uh, a really interesting innovator, interesting character and... Uh, Leeds do look a better unit, so hopefully they can give Arsenal uh, a game. And aside from us, Arsenal then have Newcastle away, which is a tricky game. Eddie Howe's got them playing well, especially at home. Yeah. And they've got Everton, um, who who be- just beat Chelsea. So, you know, they're, they're not 
tremendously difficult fixtures, but equally Arsenal are more than capable of, of blowing it against middling teams. They they tend to do better against the teams that you'd expect them to lose to. So I don't think it is all over. Uh, but getting a result at Liverpool would be a lovely, lovely bonus. And And I kind of agree with Nathan's point. I think tactically, this suits us better than any stage in the past few years. Um, obviously, I would like... I would like our first choice wing backs fit, especially Matt Doherty. Mm. I think uh, that that is potentially a bit of a problem. But yeah, I, I I can sort of see us defending quite deep, stopping space for Salah and Mane to run into, um, congesting the middle where where Yotta or or Mane, if he plays centrally, or whoever it might be, um, might be playing. We really want that three five two with Delian, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, even better that would be even better, wouldn't it? I, I guess we'll defend in a five for one shape. Um, and that five or one shape might actually involve Son as the one, possibly, for, for periods of the game. Um, yeah, intrigued to see how this one goes. Uh, but yes, very nervous. Very, very nervous. Uh, we've got a few a few questions to go through before we do that. Thank you very much for all the feedback on the discussion about ADHD, including from Mokes. People enjoyed Nathan being open about that, and people were shocked, I think, about how difficult it is to get a diagnosis. Uh, also, Chris Kelly, he of the baby name question, did indeed end up calling his little man Nathan. Oh my goodness! Um, congratulations to Chris <laughs> and his partner on their on their new arrival. And Nathan, you were going to drop some Facebook Marketplace stories. Oh god, okay. Uh, so uh, one guy, a deal fell through because um, it doesn't. It doesn't. You have to ask the address. Uh, like you don't get the address from Facebook itself right and he was like all right sweet i'm gonna be home at six and i was like okay cool where are you and he's like i was at work mate and then he (laughs) 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 like ended the that was it um and then another i think i've been conned right so i i bought um bedside cabinets bedside drawers and in every picture on the on the advert there's two of two different units and the title begins with the number two and then one has arrived and then you go back and you look at the title and it says two drawers, uh, cabinet, bedside, unit, nightstand, bed, by you know, whatever nonsense title that people use their products. So I need to like, I think I'm going to try to go directly to Facebook instead of the seller and be like, I've fallen for this obvious con, please, please help me out. Um, it's really annoying though because it's like, unless I can get them to send me another one for free, I've got one and I want a pair, and I'd prefer them mm. to match. And it was a good price for two, a bad price oh. for one. Oh, and, no. Um, so if you sell it to then buy two, you're going to have to sell it at a, a hit, possibly. Yeah. And then, okay, my, my top story is um, I got a... Uh, I, I went about getting a coffee table for my for my record player, which I'm uh, really excited by because... um back when I was just living my entire life in one room I had things on top of my record player a lot of the time and, and playing records was a hassle um but now I uh I have a dedicated space and it's a, a precious uh sort of yeah a, a special zone where I can just have my record player I'm really I'm really pleased with it anyway I uh um I I got in touch with this guy who had a sort of a fairly tatty looking one um about a mile away and I don't have my car with me where I am. So I walked to his house and it turns out it was pretty much uphill the entire way. Um, 
and I got there, I was sort of like a little out of breath, a little a little bit sweaty from from rushing up the hill um a mile. And then I looked at it and I was like, okay, yeah, cool. Okay, yeah, there's a little bit of, of sort of marking on it, but I'm not too worried about that. Like, now I need to see if it's light enough for me to carry it. And he was like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I need to, because I've got to carry it back. And I picked it up and it was like much heavier than it looked. I was like, oh, okay. He's like, mate, I, I, I'll take you in my car. So bless him oh, he took me that's took so me kind and uh and saved me a hell of a a hell of a long journey back down a hill with a heavy small table that is so kind did you have awkward chit chat all the way in the car we we may do we did all right we we found a way to so he because he's lived in the area a long time he told me a little bit about about living oh, in the cool. area so that's cool ah oh, what a wholesome story mm. about facebook marketplace I didn't expect that <laughs> People, people on Facebook Marketplace are weird, and they're really secret, secretive about where they live. Like, <laughs> yeah, I need to know. Somebody, I had to. Yeah, it's kind of storm, a, it's kind of an important part of the transaction. You know, you're gonna have to find out yeah. at some point. In in the storm, one of the tops of a lamp that's on the outside wall disappeared. It just flew up. I don't know where it went. I hope it didn't hit anybody. And I needed to replace it. Somehow on Facebook Marketplace, Facebook knew the lid of my lamp had disappeared and they, they showed me this person selling it. And she gave me a postcode and a door number. And there was a lot of houses with the number six. <laughs> and I I, no- I knocked on three houses that were number six. Oh, wow. And I was just like, what was her name? Karen. Is Karen here? She was like, no, this is not Karen. And um, anyway, it turns out she lived in a caravan in one of the, not a caravan, but what's one of those homes? Like a, like a holiday home. Like yeah, a semi-permanent home. Yeah. Yeah. Se- number six, semi, if she just said, I live in a holiday home, it, it would be quite easy to find. But no, I, to, I knocked on a few doors looking for her. <laughs> Fuck that. it's like i have to I need, I need to know where you live yeah. how, and do, they don't... how do people pay for stuff is it always cash yeah which is a pain in the ass as well mm. i might have to be I, I might have to delve into facebook marketplace myself in the near future mm. so i might be seeking you both out for some advice let's do some questions before our, our listeners stop listening um <laughs> our listeners stop being listeners this yeah. is from from Mike, actually, from Humans of Purpose. Mike says, is it possible, if not likely, that Conte is trying to prove a point by not making any significant changes to the squad each week and making predictable changes? He's trying to send a message to Levy and the board that at any cost, we don't have sufficient squad depth and or quality to compete with the top four or in Europe at the Champions League level. Therefore, if you want to keep me, you'll, ha- you'll need to significantly back me to stay and also invest heavily to get things up to a level where I'm willing to experiment with new players who are up to my levels of trusting standards. Mm. So so slight conspiracy theory from Mike that Conte is, is sticking with the same 11 because he's trying to make a, a pointed comment to Daniel Levy. What do we think? Is that the kind of thing I mean, Conte would do? We're, we're playing one game a week, so it's very easy to stick to the same 11. They're not playing twice a week, so that, I think that's it. And I think he's also sticking to the 11 he believes can, can win him the most games. And that just happens to be those players. I think had we had like European competition or cup competition, we'd still play in the same starting 11. There'd be, there'd be a message there, but I, I don't think there's anything um, dark to this. Yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at. I think this is this is something that's crossed my mind before, and again, especially when we're playing twice a week. But now, like talking about earlier in the podcast about like how he sees Bergvine as um, a Kane or Son backup, but not someone who can play the right-sided role and things like that. Um, I I think that this is just his honest and best attempt to use the players that he has. Um, and we can disagree on on the details mm. of that, but this I think this is this is very much genuine from him. Uh, what he thinks is optimal for for 
getting wins now. Yeah, interesting. I, so one thing that I was slightly disappointed about in this Leicester game was the substitutions. Um, because they were kind of like the same substitutions that we've... I mean, obviously Kulisevsky coming off of Luka's great, but beyond that it was it was uh, Winks and it was Bergvine, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah, on the bench we had we had White, we had Scarlett, and in this game we had Matthew Craig, his, his first appearance on the bench as well. And I was kind of hoping that maybe this was the time we'd see Harvey White, you know, 3-0 up. Let's get Harvey White on, see what he can do for a few minutes. Let's see how he seems to cope being thrown in to uh, a Premier League level match. Or let's see how Scarlett's been getting on uh, in training with the first team, see if he's developed much, see if he's kind of more robust. Uh, and, and that didn't happen. I, I thought it was a pity. And I, I think um, the same can be said for some of our previous sort of thrashings as well. We were three, four, even five goals up. You kind of want to see, or I want to see, the youngsters be given minutes here and there just to keep them interested, just to keep them involved, see how they're progressing. Uh, and Conti doesn't seem to be interested You're in doing that at all. not going to get that from him, are you? Just not if he's not nope. interested, because he's not going to be here in, like the longest he's going to be here is, is three and a half years, right? Mm. So it's just never in his interest. Um and mm-hmm. he does very much prioritise his interest. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he's also not a stat padder like Jose yeah, yeah. was. Because Jose, you can now go back and in five years' time, if these guys are, are, are smashing it, Jose, but I gave Parrot his debut. I gave um, <laughs> Divine his debut. These guys. I think I think Conte will watch him enough in training and, and decide when it's right to him. He He's not going to throw him in just to see how he does. He'll only throw him in if he knows how he's going to do. Mm-hmm. So Matthew Craig, by the way, uh, a steady Eddie uh, midfielder who can also play some centre back, but really is a sort of, uh, I would say, defensive, more defensive focused midfielder. Uh, he he has a twin brother, Michael, who was also at Spurs until January. Uh, it seems that, hmm, how do I phrase this? Uh, Michael left Spurs, let's put it that way. Uh, I think. I think well, I, 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 I think he agitated to leave Spurs, or certainly um, his entourage agitated for him to leave Spurs. He was going to go to Southampton, hasn't actually ended up at a club yet. It's it's weird. At one point, I thought Michael was the better of the two Craig brothers, and Matthew certainly seemed to get more game time this year, and perhaps as a result of that has developed more. And Michael was a slightly more attacking, slightly more attacking version, but they're basically the same player, which is, I guess, not that surprising for identical twins. Um, but yeah, I like Craig. I think he's a sort of, as I said, steady Eddie, level-headed, calm in possession, uh, good appreciation of, of of tactics and space. I'm intrigued to see what happens with him. I, I'd like to see him go on loan. And speaking of youngsters, no, sorry, sorry, Nathan. Uh, speaking of uh, steady Eddies, um, we've mm. been linked with Yao Palinia, who is um, ah yes, who is an out and out ball winner um, and doesn't do much else. Doesn't really do anything in possession other than just sort of lay the ball off sideways and backwards. Um, and there was also some talk of Susek, although I think that um, that seems extremely unlikely. Um, so we're being linked to yet more um, concrete mixes, which is which is strange, right? <laughs> I mean, it's slightly I, strange with Skippy waiting in the wings. Are we are we going to talk about um, Joyberg's control after um, Kulisewski did an incredible piece of skill down the line? I I mean, we can't. I can't not mention it. I wasn't going to. But Nathan brought up concrete. Some Nathan brought up cement mixes, and there, there, there you go. That's the problem with uh, Huyberg. That's his problem. He's just got no finesse. He's got nothing. He does. He's, he did some made some nice tackles. I thought he had a good game. Got, I thought he had a nice good game. Tackles. Got his body in the way. Kind of. 
filled some spaces pretty good, but my days, and when it comes to anything above like a level six or level seven player, he just crumbles. So I, I don't think you can judge Huybier on his what he does in and around the box, especially if it's like a, a quite difficult to receive pass. And he's just not going to be able to do what you want him to be able to do, Buddy. Uh, he's not that kind of guy. He's... Vincent Janssen controls that. Soldado takes it down and, and hits the crossbar. <laughs> so Huibier's progressive pass distance, 390 metres, uh, three times oh, as much as Bentancur in this game. Uh, I thought Huibier had a really, yeah, it... <laughs> really tidy, tidy match. Don't don't quote stats at me when it comes to Huibier. <laughs> we all know what he does. I'm I'm in the stadium. I'm watching him. I can I have 360, 3D, 4D view of this guy. And when the camera pans away and, and you guys are watching something else, I can still see him. And he's he's just annoying me. <laughs> I've got I feel really bad. His presence annoys me. But he did play all right, so I'll give him that. As I was saying, speaking of youngsters, Horshit and Burgers says, "What happens to Brian Hill next year? If Conte stays, can you see a way through for him at Spurs? If Conte leaves and we were to land Poch, would you see him working well under his system?" And similarly, Jamie Loxley says, "Do we think Pape Metasar could feature next season? Is it a concern that Mets are bottom of the French league?" So, um, any thoughts on Hill and Sar for next year? Okay, let's do them in that order. So, uh, Heel is a good player. <laughs> um, he's playing well at the moment. Um, the concerns about him, and it's been very forthright um, from, I think, both the club and uh, Hill himself, are that he, he lacks some of the necessary physicalities for the Premier League. Um, that isn't something that had especially occurred to me when looking at him before. Um, he's playing for possibly the most physical team uh, in La Liga at the moment, uh, and maybe that's the intention, right? To expose him to to a you know a sort of a halfway step. Um, I don't. Know, I find this one a little confusing. I think um, I'm kind of curious as to know exactly what is meant by that because if it's a matter of like combativeness, um, I think that there are definitely ways around that in terms of like. Uh, Luka Modric was 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 named a lightweight when he first came to the Premier League, and um, now what that means is that if you dive in on him, you're going to foul him <laughs> because he's going to knock the ball around you and drop his shoulder, right? Um, and Hill very much has that kind of skill set, so he would just need to develop in the areas that he's already good. Um, you know, there are plenty of small um, or even potentially weak very very good right players who can play in the most physical conditions because they can just turn that against their opposition if it's a matter of stamina um that's something else right if he's already at his um or near his athletic ceiling for his stamina um and he's only ever going to last 60 minutes of premier league football that's something more serious for us to consider whether he belongs in the Premier League. Um, I personally think that the differences between leagues are overplayed, but if this is something that Conte is, is certain on, is this is something that Hill accepts, uh, accepted throughout the coaching team, it's kind of hard to do a big pushback against that. I definitely think he's a really good player. Um, if he's not suited to us for physical mm. reasons, it's still a little hard for me to wrap my head around, to be honest, but, but fair enough. And then uh, Pat Matasar, yeah. Um, him being on a terrible, terrible team 
um, doesn't make me concerned for like why isn't he simply lifting them out of the relegation zone on his own? Uh, but it does make it hard to get like a, a handle on on him to assess like especially his short passing game. There are statistical concerns and also sort of tape concerns about his his sort of more general easy build build up kind of stuff. Um, but it may simply be the case that the players he's passing to can't control the ball, don't know how to position, um, never play the right pass after the fact, um, move away from passing lanes because they're terrified of receiving the ball, um, all of those kinds of things. Um, and so it's hard to say um, he's a bad short passer or even he's a good short passer or whatever else because there's just not good information there similarly mm. this season he's played a lot of games at number 10 which which i hate for him um yeah i mean his his strength is his ability to sort of drive the play forward to receive the ball um not necessarily to dribble but to carry it through the pitch and to be um not necessarily creative but maybe uh dynamic or explosive in the final third with his he's got an incredible long range shooting game he can um really hit a long pass and switches and stuff like that um or maybe just lay the ball off after a carry um so to play him as a number 10 i feel like is a is real misuse of his, his things but again uh, the team he plays for are are terrible so they kind of just be like oh here's our one good player let's get him nearer to the goal and, <laughs> and see if something can happen from that it's a bit like when we were playing in Don as a 10 yeah yeah Mourinho. it's a little like that uh yeah yeah sure yeah i think um one of the other concerns with brian heel is the homesickness issue sure and and like how he just didn't seem to settle and then instantly really found his form again and seemed mm. happy when he was back in spain and i think that's going to be a really really difficult one to overcome and what i would say on on sar and i, I guess you would include heel as well is i think you know assuming context stays with us and i think we have to assume that uh he will have a good look at all of our players in preseason. Preseason is the first time he's seen the players do a substantial preseason. He 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 will learn a lot about them. We have a couple of tours we're going on in preseason. There'll be lots of opportunities for players to impress. So we'll have players coming back who might not necessarily be sold on, and Dombele being one actually. Um, Saar will will be in with the first team squad in preseason. I think Troy Parrott will also be in with the first team squad in preseason. And Conte will see all these players, play them amongst first team players in some of the preseason friendlies, and then the decisions will be made from there. And it could be that Saar is deemed not quite there yet, physically or mentally or tactically. And perhaps he will be loaned out again this time to a, let's say, championship, upper championship team or a lower Premier League team. Uh, same might be true of Parrot. Perhaps he'll go back out to a championship team. But it would not surprise it would not surprise me one little bit if Saar and Parrot were both kept around for the first half of next season. And he'll if he settles as well to play um, European football. Perhaps not if we're in the Champions League. That that might change things a bit depending on the the quality of the group. Uh, but certainly if we're in the Europa League, because we'll need a larger squad. And I, I don't see any issue with with um, filling out the squad with those players and the likes of Harvey White as well and Scarlett. 
So I think a lot will depend on on how they do in preseason, whether they can impress Conte with their um, with their physicality as much as anything. I agree. I think um, I think the preseason would be a big opportunity for them to show what he's done. He um, Conte's not averse to young players. He he brought Bastoni through at Inter um, ahead of many other kind of more established players. I think if he if they suit him and suit the style and and prove themselves, he'll play them. Okay, so once again, for the final time, check out the podcast Humans of Purpose. Search for it on your favoured podcast player. And if you enjoy Mike's work, which we think is really excellent, make sure you hit the subscribe button, leave Mike a review, or learn more about the show at humansofpurpose.com. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, E Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.